Welcome to Assorted Goods. I am your host, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. It is good to be back doing this again. And since this is a bit of a reboot of the show, allow me to reintroduce it. Every episode of Assorted Goods, we're going to dive into a topic, a news story, or just something that's been on my mind recently. And then we dig a little deeper into it and try to make some sense of it all. It's pretty standard. I make it sound more complicated than it actually is. Simply put, this show is my own curiosity about things, turned into a neat little audio package that's then heard by others. I promise I'll come up with a shorter way to sum up the podcast starting next episode. For those of you who have listened in the past, I am so glad to have you come back around here again. Thank you for your support, and mostly thank you for your patience. It really means a lot, and I do consider myself lucky to have fans at all. If you're new to the show, welcome. Hope you enjoy listening and that you get something of value out of the topics that we dive into, or at least some ideas to take with you to get you thinking. Now, I also made a promise that I would make the intros much shorter. Well, unfortunately, I have to break that rule because, you know, it's a special occasion. The show's starting up again. But anyways, let's get down to it. This episode, you know, a lot has changed since the start of the pandemic. How many times have you heard people tell you that before? Stating the obvious for you to start the show and get you going again. But this episode... We're going to focus on two areas that are a part of every person's life. First, work. Our professional lives have all been upended over the past 20 months or so. We're in the middle of a labor shortage, a mass exodus from jobs, and a crisis for employers. Secondly, what do we get for our work? Money. Ah, the other side of it all. A ton of money has changed hands during the pandemic, but not necessarily in a good way. Although I guess that depends on who you ask. What's changed and who's benefiting? Well, that's the second part of what we're getting into. And with that, Assorted Goods is back. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network and DeanBlundell.com. So undoubtedly, our working lives have all been changed in ways we never imagined thanks to the COVID pandemic. Working from home, and both the benefits and struggles that came with that, all the layoffs that occurred, and just all the general alterations to regular day-to-day operating of all the companies that continued to function through the pandemic. And in recent weeks, you may have heard this term, but we are currently living in what's being dubbed the Great Resignation, or the Big Quit. Nice nicknames, eh? You know, you mash up a word for large with a word for quit. How about the, I don't know, the humongous exodus? the ginormous leave-in, something like that. Maybe those will stick. I don't know. But anyways, from April to June of this year, approximately 11.5 million people quit their jobs in America. In August alone, 4.3 million more people quit their jobs. That's over 15 million people just in the summer, just in one country too. And it's strange because remember at the start of the pandemic, People were clinging to their jobs, hoping not to get laid off, not having to go on some sort of government subsidy or unemployment program. But that's what this whole thing is. You can see what those clever little nicknames mean now. They're pretty straight to the point. There has been a massive amount of people quitting their jobs. 
Recent studies have also indicated that upwards of 48% of workers are also currently looking for a change in their professional lives. Now, the industries that are feeling the effects of this mass resignation are the ones that you'd pretty much expect. They're the same industries that have been devastated by the pandemic from the very beginning. Leisure, hospitality, manufacturing, which means restaurants, stores, service jobs. And as we're experiencing at the moment, various jobs along our global supply chains. These are also the industries where a lot of the workers within them face the brunt of the abuse from the general public when things like lockdowns and mask mandates and social distancing all came into effect over the course of the last 18 to 20 months. So you can understand, they may be a little bit disillusioned with their professional lives. And there may be no group of people who that applies more to than the healthcare workers themselves. There's staffing shortages and healthcare jobs all over the place now, mainly due to people either retiring from the field or, like I said before, they're looking for a change. One poll I found showed that 65% of American workers consider themselves to be looking for work. That's higher than the 48% who said they were looking for a change, but a change and looking for work. With these polls, half the time, it's based on how you frame the question or what people think you mean when you ask it. But either way, the trend is pretty much still the same. People are not satisfied with their current situations. 56% of workers say they are looking for more flexible work situations, whether that be the ability to work from home or maneuver their scheduled hours around the more standardized traditional 40-hour work week. Truth be told, I even quit a job this year. It's the first time I've ever done that, but we'll get back to that. Here in Canada, there hasn't quite been the same amount of resignations with current levels of people quitting their jobs being comparable to pre-pandemic numbers. However, many businesses in those industries we just mentioned, places like restaurants and stores, are still experiencing difficulties in finding people to work. And with the holiday season just around the corner, that's even more of an issue now, since this is usually the time of year where a lot of those retail jobs and service industries look to increase their staffing in order to keep up with that seasonal demand. The current thought about the labor trends in Canada right now is that Although there isn't the same level of this mass resignation happening here, this may be more of a case of the fact that it simply hasn't happened yet. In fact, there may be a bit of a feedback loop at work here. As people are leaving their jobs and employers are indicating the difficulty of finding work, workers themselves are starting to believe that they have leverage, which, in a rare occurrence in history, they actually do. The Bank of Canada conducted a survey where nearly one in five Canadians said that they are considering quitting their jobs within the next year. Shit, I might be one of them. But here's some more stats for you. I mean, who doesn't love numbers, right? They paint such a clear picture. I really could just name this show Assorted Statistics with Dan, but you know, I'm already straying aligned with the content as it is. But a study released from the Canadian recruiting firm Robert Half showed that when workers are considering a job right now, they're actually starting to consider the following factors. 75% say they want flexible work schedules. 61% say they want remote work options. 40% say they want employee discounts. It's a bit of a shift in priorities, isn't it? It's less about the perks and more about the actual tangible work-life balance that people want. So the question, of course, is why? Why is this happening? Why are people quitting their jobs en masse? Well, 50% of Canadian workers say they feel underpaid. That number goes up to 56% for millennials and about 54% for women. One in five Canadian workers will consider quitting in the next year if they don't get a raise. So again, a number is consistent with the one we were just mentioning. And for the younger generations, that number goes up even higher. 
For Generation Z workers, the number actually goes up to 28%, which I mean, best of luck. I hope you get that raise. Now, from what I found, this trend crosses the oceans too. A poll conducted by Microsoft, a company that is sure to benefit further from more remote work and more Microsoft Teams meetings. Ugh, Teams meetings. But they found 41% of workers globally were considering quitting their jobs. And in the United Kingdom and Ireland, that number is 38%. The point being, obviously, people's perception of their working lives has changed. Not only have our working situations objectively been turned on their heads through the pandemic, and yes, the pandemic did likely just accelerate a lot of workplace trends that were probably coming in the near future anyways, but still, something more is at work here. No pun intended there, of course. But we've got to come back to the same question. And I know we've been harping on it for the last few minutes here, but why is this happening? Well, consider this for a second. And I'm focusing on Canada again. I know I jump all over the place, but the Canadianism is right there in my blood, literally. In 2019, a study was released where it was found that 48% of Canadians consider themselves to be only a $200 expense away in their monthly bills from being broke. Only $200. And this isn't a far-fetched figure. This is a similar trend that occurs in the United States and is actually happening all over the developed world. It's one of the trademark pieces of our current inequality situation. But just think there for a second. That was before the pandemic. It was 2019. Only $200? Now, in that same vein, let's take it across the border again. And in that same time frame, in 2019, a CNBC poll showed that upwards of 85% of American workers were unhappy with their jobs, citing, obviously, pay, but also advancement opportunities, recognition, and autonomy, meaning more control in their working life. Now, these polls were, again, both before the pandemic. And although I don't have a bunch of numbers to back up this point, I'll make it anyways in confidence. Over the past two years, people have certainly not gotten happier at work or further ahead financially. So my money, what little of it I may have, is on those trends only getting worse over the past two years. Those two statistics, though, well, they may actually also provide at least a little bit of context for our current situation. That was how people were feeling before the craziness of the past two years. Well, you see where I'm going. There's also this blurb I found in an article from Fortune magazine. Quote, one theory for why quitting continues to rise, in part because of rising inflation. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, someone earning $150,000 on January 1st, 2021 would now need to earn $157,000 to have the same purchasing power. So with the average United States raise only at 3%, it makes sense that more people are listening to offers. If they aren't getting a pay raise, then in an economic sense, they're taking a fairly big pay cut, end quote. And there's a good point there. If inflation is rising faster than any wages are rising, which it always does since wages have not risen anywhere near the level of the overall value of the marketplace in the last four decades or so, you can see why people feel like they're falling behind. Bills going up, but money coming in stays the same. Now, there's also this idea, and it's one that I have personal experience with, but it's the fact that so many jobs, or at least so many aspects of these jobs that we do now, are digital. And over the course of the pandemic, we've simply learned that they can be done from home. So many employers adapted on the fly and set up work-from-home schedules, and it seemed to work fine. Different, for sure, but still working. And so now, employees are just simply frustrated with the idea that they have to all come marching back into an office to be essentially babysat 
to do a job that they know they could have done at home with a coffee in their pajamas. I know I do. Now let's take it to the flip side of things here. Employers. Well, there's numbers for them too. A poll conducted by professional services company Deloitte found these trends among CEOs. You know, the most reliable on the subjects like worker trends. But anyways, this is what the CEOs had to say. 73% of them say that the labor shortage will disrupt their business and their company at some point soon, if not already. 35% are now offering expanded benefits or incentives to potential new hires. Yes, they are getting a little bit desperate. And yet, funny enough, 67% of these CEOs expect strong growth in the next couple of years, which is funny to me. Strong growth, but labor problems and complications? Well, I guess CEOs always believe in the growth of the company since that's essentially their job. It's all about the stocks. And we'll get to those later. Now, it's hard to run through all these trends and all these numbers and just draw a simple conclusion to it all. Spoiler alert, there isn't a simple answer. And the trends of this great resignation vary depending on a few things. For one, what country are you speaking of? More developed economies seem to be where this trend is taking place. Why? Well, because in those countries, there are more social safety nets and programs to support people who are unemployed. But as I just said, at the same time, there are very big differences even between Canada and America, and we're neighbors. Now, here's a story for you. I mentioned earlier that earlier this year, I quit my job, and it kind of factors into what we're talking about right here. I started a new job, the highest paying job I've had in my life, great opportunity, all that good stuff, great benefits, and I quit it after about six months. And you might be thinking, Dan, you're an insane person. Well, to be honest, mentally, it was a brutal experience. But one of the things that saved me, I mean, literally probably saved me, was two things. One, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go back to my old job. Why? Well, because they can never get enough workers to do that one. But also, because when I left the job that I was at, because of health complications, I was able to get myself unemployment benefits for about a month in between jobs to support myself and pay my bills. It's lucky to have that. And as much as I never want to have to use it, it's nice to know that it's there should something happen. Now, obviously, when it comes to unemployment benefits, there are different factors and circumstances. It's not a guarantee in whatever situation you're in. But nevertheless, there's also a little bit of a cultural shift going on. And although those are always hard to pinpoint, and it is pretty much conjecture, I know. But I feel like social media right now is filled with stories of people quitting their jobs and screenshotted texts of workers telling their bosses to shove it after being forced to go in on a day of work that they didn't want to do. And then also on the flip side, then stories of employers getting desperate, begging their workers to come back. There was even a story here in Canada recently about a restaurant out in Vancouver where dishwasher position was being posted for $50,000 a year. It's crazy. Now, there's one very important point to remember about this whole topic right now, and one that seems almost obvious in a horribly head-shaking kind of way, but that's that the effects on the workforce and those who have had it the worst through the pandemic, those who took the most risks, felt the most economic effects, had the least alternatives, and got the least reward for their efforts, are, as expected, poor communities, minority and immigrant communities, and women were forced to leave the workforce in much higher numbers in order to assist with kids at home, if not having to be professionals and parents simultaneously while staying at their jobs. Shocking, I know. But yes, the groups of people who get the short end of the stick most of the time continue to get it here. Now, there's also this thought that I had and I thought I'd share, but I read one tweet 
and I know getting a lot of stuff from Twitter shows what I am, but it pointed to the fact that after the Black Death in the 14th century, workers gained all the power, and there was this golden age of workers' rights, relatively speaking, of course, for the 14th century, but this person was obviously trying to draw a parallel between then and now. And although they are right, that is what happened after the Black Death, they're also completely wrong. Why? Well, because the plague killed about one in three people. There was an incredible labor shortage, not because people's ideas of working life changed, but because there was literally no living souls to do the work. Kinda not the same here. Now, if I'm taking a shot at simplifying what I just said wasn't simple, I'd draw this conclusion. That what's really taken place is exactly this, a massive shift in our ideas of work. The 40-hour work week and the two-day weekend aren't natural occurrences. They weren't written upon the earth when we got here. They were created a little over 100 years ago and were the product of hard-fought wins for workers' rights. Changing the landscape of what we consider normal with our working lives certainly isn't new. And really, this is just maybe a shakeup and a new phase of it all. People are frustrated, simply put. They're frustrated with their inability to get ahead, to save, to keep up with rising grocery store bills and housing prices. Jesus, the housing prices. For decades now, workers have been asked to work more for less, and that to complain about it is to be ungrateful. All the while, despite huge numbers of families reaching the brink of financial disaster month to month, the story is always how well the economy is doing and how well the stock market is doing. Now, it's also become clear that people can have an actual semblance of work-life balance, not some half-assed version of it, including commuting and things like mandatory overtime, etc. And these trends are affecting workers both skilled and unskilled. Hell, in that Fortune article that I shared just a minute ago, the example they used for the inflation was somebody making $150,000 a year. So if those people are feeling the heat and deciding that they want to be valued more, then you can imagine the kind of effects that this is having on people who are already struggling to get by. There's also the aspect of mental health. and That plays a significant role too. It always does. People's bills and expenses, well, those are a major source of stress and anxiety. The time they have to be with their families is important to them too. The whole of the COVID pandemic has really upended all of our routines, those familiar things that we do every single day, both personally and professionally. And I'm sure you know how that can be. Just think about your own life. When things you're used to suddenly change, like you move to a new city or you break up after a long relationship, there's a shock in the upheaval. But at the same time, there comes a new perspective from your new state of affairs. And that's what workers right now are getting. Two years of a brand new perspective on their professional lives, what it really means to them. Fundamentally, how most people view their professional lives has been shifted. Most workers now want flexible work, fair pay that matches inflation, and the increase in the expenses in their lives. And above all, they just want to be respected as people, no matter the job they do, no matter the level of skill attached to that job. Dignity. I know it's a lost word, but it's true. That's what people really want. They want to be dignified in their daily lives. But then there's also the money side of all things. And through the pandemic, money has been changing hands. Government subsidies and assistance programs, the entrance into the stock market by a whole lot of non-traditional investors, billionaires fighting to see who can hold the most unfathomable amount of wealth possible. And then there's everyone else. 
We're going to take a quick break here and do something I'm aiming to make a more of a point here of on the Swift Goods, which is that I don't actually run advertising here. Instead, each episode for the mid-episode ads, I run a couple promotions for other small podcasts like this one. So hang around, have a listen, see if these shows may be what you're looking for. And Assorted Goods will be right back. Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Do you like time travel? Movies? Video games? Comics? Sci-fi? Cartoons? Or how about action figures? Well, so do we. Every episode, we pick a topic from the geekosphere and have a little chat about it. So if you've been waiting for a groundbreaking podcast that does all of this and more, you might have what it takes to be a Geek Explorer Come join us every other Tuesday for a fresh installment of Geek Exploration, the podcast. You can find us at geeksplorationpodcast.com or any reputable podcatcher likely a few unreputable ones. Come and knock on our door as Force of Cloud welcomes you to Season 2. Oh my Lanta, this will be fun. Prepare for hilarious hijinks with your friends Bradley. I was with the bellboy, keeping him busy. Cameron. Yes, you have crow's feet. No, the mirror is not glitching. Allison. It's like having Jessica Fletcher right here in the kitchen. Dylan. Don't underestimate the importance of body language. Mrs. Halverson. Back in the old country, I used to provide conjugal to our local boys in the pokey. And our narrator. He's dressed like he walked out of Forever 21, even though in a few years he'll be suddenly 42. You don't want to miss a single moment of all the men I've slept with. You could start a hockey team. Force Crowd, a sitcom available on a podcatcher near you. Welcome back to Assorted Goods. And for the record, I've done a little voice acting work in both the first and second season of Forza Crowd. It's been a fun project to take part in here and there, and it also features some friends of mine from the podcasting community. So, you know, give it a listen. And the gentleman from the Geek Exploration podcast just might be dropping by Assorted Goods real soon, too. So there's that. If you're a podcaster and you have a show and you have a promo you'd like to send over for me to run, email me at dan at disinformed.ca and get in on the action over here. All right, now let's get back to the topic at hand. So we spent the first half of the episode talking about work, and now let's talk about money. Oh boy, I'm going to have to try to keep this from getting too ugly, but there was this article that I was reading a few weeks ago, and a part of it got stuck in my head, and I just can't let it go. And that was this, quote, The wealthiest 10% of Americans now own 89% of all U.S. stocks held by households, a record high that highlights the stock market's role in increasing wealth inequality. Let me say that again. 10% of the wealthiest American households own 90% of all of the U.S. stock market value. Now, I, real quick, I tried to do a little bit of a parallel in the first half between the American numbers and the Canadian numbers when it came to work and jobs and all that. And I tried to do the same with that here, but wasn't able to quite find as clear information on the subject here in Canada. But as inequality has been on the rise here too, and with only 39% of Canadians reportedly buying shares at all, that number is apparently going up thanks to the popularity of small-time investing. But I have to imagine that the trends are pretty much the same here. But back to that number there, because there's also more in this article. During the pandemic, quote, the top 1% gained more than $6.5 trillion in corporate equities and mutual fund wealth. Whew. Just, you know, chump change, of course. The bottom 90% added $1.2 trillion according to the latest data from the Federal Reserve. Now, again, 
1% gained 6.5 trillion. 90% gained 1.2 trillion. Just the division there, it's, it's staggering. It's actually almost impossible to wrap your head around truly in any sort of adequate way. Then there's this paragraph, quote, the stock market, which has nearly doubled since the March 2020 drop, which as you remember after the pandemic, there was that big dip, and is up nearly 40% since June 2020 overall, was the main source of wealth creation in America during the pandemic, as well as the main driver of inequality. The total wealth of the top 1% now currently sits at about 32% of all wealth, 1% with one-third of all wealth to their name, which is a record, according to the Federal Reserve data. Nearly 70% of their wealth gains over the past year and a half, one of the fastest wealth booms in recent history, came from stocks. Obviously, you can see where I'm going to be going with this half, but there's been all sorts of new challenges we've faced over the last couple of years. Supply shortages, gas prices going way down, now way up, the big hit the market took at the start of the pandemic, as we mentioned, and its staggering recovery since then. Do you see what I'm getting at here? In terms of public health, we're attempting to get closer to being back to normal, or at least settling into whatever we're going to move forward with as a new normal but people feel less happy with their jobs than ever. Those on the lower end of the economic spectrum have continued to struggle to make ends meet, even with the support programs we've run to help them since the start of the pandemic. Not to mention how difficult the process of seeking government assistance actually was for so many. And yet the economy is apparently doing great. Even though one-third of the wealth in America is owned by 1% of the population, trends that are pretty similar in most of the developed world right now, that's all thanks to the stock market. So there's a clear disconnect here between a few very different experiences being a working adult in today's world. One thing has taken place over the last couple of years is this democratization of the stock market. You remember earlier this year when the stock price for GameStop went to the moon? When thousands of everyday investors apparently pumped the stock price in what was supposedly a middle finger to the big hedge funds and investors of the world. Except, as it became known later, the wealthiest investors actually made a lot of money and made pretty good on this quote-unquote moment for the little guy. And they made off with millions of their own. Well, that was the mainstream story that broke into our news cycles. But independent investors have popped up all over the place thanks to these easy-to-use stock trading apps like Robinhood in America and Wealthsimple here in Canada. Hey, truth be told, I actually opened a Wealthsimple account because of that whole GameStop thing, put a few bucks in there, and even I got a couple hundred in the market right now. Essentially, I'm gambling, but it's all good. It's been nine months, and through all the ups and downs, I have about $10 more than I started with. Take that, Wall Street. <laughs> now, Robinhood actually has added 10 million new accounts over the past two years, with their demographics showing that a lot of these new investors are younger and new to the game. So, hey, look at that. Yeah. A whole lot of people who maybe didn't have access to investing now do, thanks to technology, and they're getting involved. The problem, though, is that most of these investors are small money investors. The average account size with Robinhood, for example, which now, thanks to those 10 million new accounts, is up over to about that 22 million number that it's at, the average account size is $4,500, meaning the democratization of the stock market was really about a bunch of people who, on average, aren't really versed in handling stocks and are getting a lot of secondhand information online, joining in to make small gains with limited funds. Meaning, overall, 
The market is still, as it always has been, dominated by hedge funds and big money investors. There hasn't been any serious redistribution of wealth thanks to the meme stocks and this new influx of people getting into investing. Although a lot of fun has been had along the way, and a lot of laughs too, I'm sure. Now, believe it or not, there actually is an argument about whether inequality went up or down during the pandemic. Seriously. Despite all that happened, some research actually showed that as the pandemic started, inequality actually got balanced out a little bit more. And there's an explanation for that. As we know, the market took a huge hit when the pandemic started, and everyday people quickly got a stimulus from their government in many countries. But yes, you can guess that as the pandemic has continued on and things returned to more of the status quo, the divide of wealth from top to bottom has, of course, gotten worse. There's one thought to remember here. Numerous reports have found that even wealthy individuals and business owners who didn't need government subsidies still found a way to take some in. And the urgency of the situation, with it needing to get out to people as soon as possible, and the logistics behind all of these systems and the application process, all of that allowed a lot of people who didn't need or deserve subsidies to get them and get away with taking them without there being proper oversight. And it's still hard to say if there will ever be actually any consequences or those people are ever going to have to give anything back. Now, I say that because when someone who doesn't need a stimulus check gets one, they can say, invest it in the market. It's extra money to them. And they got the chance to invest at a time when the market had dipped. Whereas regular people, many of which are already straying the line between making ends meet and being broke, will obviously spend that money on the necessities of their own lives, like rent, utilities, food, clothing for their kids, and so on. Not fucking avocado toast like some suit on the TV might say. And then there's this little blurb from an article that was outlining how after 2020, income distribution might change through 2021. Just this little part stuck with me. For instance, in 2021, the richest two deciles, now what they mean by that is the top 20% of people on the wealth spectrum, but on average, they were expected to recover nearly half of their 2020 losses, while the poorest two deciles, the poorest 20%, on average were expected to further lose 5% of their income. Again, I'm just saying the same thing in different ways. People who have, have more or lose less along the way. The people who don't keep losing and can't ever really keep their heads above water, let alone get ahead to do something like invest long term and see those sweet sweet diamond hands gains, baby. Yeah, so things are as unequal as they have ever been, despite the constant narrative of market success. Everyday people feel underpaid, undervalued, underappreciated, and with very little recourse or ability to break out from under the boulder that is keeping most of them down. And now, thanks to the economic turmoil of the past two years, we're seeing inflation on the rise, which, shockingly, will affect those at the lower end of the economy more than those at the top. Same old story. Now let me take a minute here to say something obvious again. Whenever we talk about something like this, like inequality or the market or economics of this sort whatsoever, and again, I am no expert by any means, but a few things tend to happen. One, people have a visceral and often annoyed reaction to the idea of other people wanting more. Please, sir. I want some more. More? But oftentimes you'll hear words get thrown around like entitlement, lazy, ungrateful. And we know that what people mostly want is a fair shake of things. There's also the sworn mortal enemies of C-words. Not that C-word. He's up there. 
but the capitalism versus communism idea, which way too many economic and political issues just get boiled down to today. As though there are only two sides to the ideas that push our world forward. And as though human beings who can achieve so much couldn't come up with some better ideas and solutions. And what, Dan, might those solutions be? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm not 100% sure, but I'll tell you what I found. And it's probably nothing you haven't heard before, or even probably isn't something that you already have a set opinion on and that you may not be that interested in reconsidering. Don't worry. That's pretty much everyone these days. Taxes. They're an important part of the way a community functions and a society can reinvest in its own growth. You know the drill, roads, schools, transportation systems, and especially healthcare. Goddamn healthcare, which as we've discovered thanks to COVID, was underfunded and unprepared for a healthcare crisis of this size. While experts, who don't seem to garner anywhere near the respect that they once did or deserved to, have warned that pandemics are likely to happen more often. And seemingly, we've learned nothing from this. And I'm sure our healthcare systems in every country after this pandemic finally dies down and goes away will continue to be left only to get by with what they have until another crisis hits. The point being, we do need to come to some sort of conclusion on a couple of things. What any member of a society's role is in supporting that same society and what we believe to be valuable in this free market of ours. Taxing internet transactions and online purchases, adding a minuscule tax on stock trades and on capital gains especially. Yes, investments should be taxed. And yes, again, I'm sure a lot of people who wear suits and ties are going to smirk at that. But don't worry because for a majority of people, it wouldn't be much. But it will be for certain people at the very top, which as we already established in the second half of this episode, they have plenty of. And if you're listening to this podcast, you ain't one of those people way up there, I assume. But hey, someday you could be. Now, America right now is in a budget crisis and negotiations about taxation, specifically taxation on investments, have been a major breaking point. Elon Musk called the tax plan stupid and claimed that it was the first step in the government moving from taking his money, remember his worth is a number so big our brains literally cannot understand how much money it is, to taking your money. It's a classic anti-tax rich guy thing to say. You know, hey, you and me, we're the same. They come for me, they're coming for you. Which, I mean, I wish, right? But as you can tell, I do pretty much fall on one side of this issue. Although again, the idea of there being two sides on something this complicated or any damn side at all annoys the crap out of me. But hey, that's the world we've got. So look, there's definitely been a theme today here on Assorted Goods. Work and money go hand in hand, and they're central to everything we do and to our lives pretty much all the time. There's no escaping it. There's no fantasy we can jump to where we can all get along and share. But what we are in the middle of is that shift as I said before, in our perception about things. People are flat out fed up with working jobs they hate, to make barely enough to get by or to get ahead, and then to be told that everything is going well. I mean, if we're at a point where an overwhelming majority of people are unhappy in their jobs and between 25% to 50% of them either want to quit or find something better, 
then we may be coming to a point here, folks. You know, it's hard to clap for a guy who gutted the retail industry and subjects his workers to indignities as he sails into the sky on a penis-shaped rocket, or to listen to the economic opinions of a guy who got to be one of the richest men on earth thanks to Twitter memes and pulling PR stunts and making grand promises of the future in order to drive up his stock price, tell you that if the government taxes him, then they'll be kicking down your door tomorrow. It doesn't add up. There's got to be a balance struck, at least far more balance than we currently have, because the imbalance is increasing as it has for decades. And folks, the universe, whether you fight it or don't, sooner or later, will demand that balance. So, solutions? How about universal basic income? Uh-oh. But the research on it is solid and promising, and on top of rebalancing our economics just a tad, it also shows to largely increase people's happiness. And yes, therefore, dignity. Uh-oh. Dan's a commie. Ugh, shit. I kid. I think. Oh, and if you'd like to read about universal basic income, one of my favorite books on the subject is Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman. Check it out. It might change your mind on the subject if you're skeptical. Changing minds these days doesn't really happen that often. Yeah, but hey, you never know. All right, that's it for this episode of Assorted Goods. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to follow me on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is more for the raw thoughts of my brain. Instagram's probably more for the show clips and the episode updates. So, you know, take your pick. The handle on both platforms is at DisinformedDan. You can also visit the new website for the show, disinformed.ca. Yes, it's a .ca. I am flexing my Canadianness on you once more. But this is where you can find show notes for each episode which includes the sources used for the information within the episode itself. There's also some writing I've done and some other podcast projects. You know, it's a little home for all the things that I make. And if you'd like to support Assorted Goods, all that I ask is that you leave it an honest rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on whichever app you choose to listen with. And of course, tell a friend. Have them join in on the fun. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach me through the contact page on disinformed.ca or just make it easy and email me directly at dan at disinformed.ca. Jeez, everything's so similar. It's like continuity or something, man. The music for this episode was created and produced by my talented brother, David Felton. Thank you, brother, as always. And credit for the information used in this episode goes to the journalists, academics, writers, editors, and everyone involved in keeping people like me informed so I can provide people like you with a quality show. Thank you again for listening. Take care of each other out there, and I will catch you next time here on assorted goods.